Hey guys, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Cornerstone. Um, you know, I know usually when you guys come out to a stake and study, you're used to getting a really great quality uh, guest speaker. Sorry, this morning you're stuck with just me. When Matt asked me to speak a couple weeks ago, you know, I, at first I was really honored, and then he told me I was just cheap and available. Um, <laughs> I, I, it, it's true. Um, but it's still an honor to be here with you guys, and I'm thankful. I'll do my best to keep it brief this morning. I realize you guys have had your morning coffee and will be ready to get on the road. Um, but it's good to be with you guys. We're going to study God's Word together. So Exodus chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus chapter 18. Um, again, again, I mentioned my name is Jimmy. Um, I've been on staff here 10 years this month. Um, it's amazing to me how fast 10 years will go by, but it's a privilege to be part of what God's doing at Cornerstone. Um, I have my lovely wife, Amy, and my two uh, little girls at home. I've got a three-year-old named Haven and a one-year-old named Piper. Um, so being here is the easier thing on Saturday morning. Um, my poor wife has her hands full. So I'll look at Matt with a couple Bibles for us. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hands. He'll get you one. But Exodus chapter 18 is where we're going to be. And we're going to read a, a little bit of um, an extended part of the passage, but it helps frame our story this morning. So look with me, if you would, Exodus 18, starting in verse 1. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses in Israel his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5 And Jethro, Moses' father in law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father in law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Verse 7 So Moses went out to meet his father in law, bowed down, and kissed him. By the way, I don't meet my father in law that way. I don't know if any of you do. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now jump down a little bit further in the passage to verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and the other, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them over to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, fifties, rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. 
but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so command you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. And verse 24 says, So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Well, let's pray and we'll unpack this passage together. Lord, we thank you for this morning that we can be here together and we can open your word. And God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, just the wonderful insight of the pages of Scripture, Lord, from Genesis to Revelation. There's so much we can learn, and you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God, we thank you that it's not just antiquated stories from millennia ago, but God, the timeless truths of Scripture are relevant for today. So we ask that you'd meet us here in this time, Lord. We ask that you'd just um, give us hearts to hear and receive, Lord, that we'd be able to look introspectively into our own lives and apply the things from your words. Lord, help us to do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've spent the better part of the last 15 years of my life studying the Bible. And one of my favorite things is to just look at the different biographical stories that exist about the different characters, you know, the people who are these great heroes of our faith. And you see these different places in Scripture, specifically some of the narratives of the Old Testament, that give you a little bit of background and insight into their lives. And I've always found it a curious thing how many of the biblical characters, again, specifically in the Old Testament, had multiple wives. You think about Jacob, you think about David, you think about Solomon, just to name a few. And, you know, look, the reality is this was never God's design, nor was it ever God's best. And it came with issues. I mean, just think about it for a second. Imagine just the number of pairs of shoes. It had to be endless. The closet space that they required, the honeydew list on Saturday. Can you guys imagine the credit card bills? We're talking something substantial. But worst of all, what is one thing that comes with every wife? A mother-in-law. Man was not intended to have more than one mother-in-law. It reminds me of this story of this man who was um, overseas on a business trip, and while he was away, his attorney contacted him and said, "Um, Sir, I'm sorry to tell you that your mother-in-law has died in her sleep. What would you like us to do? Would you like us to embalm her, to cremate her, or to bury her? Well, the lie went silent for just a minute while the guy was thinking about it, and then he replied, Take no chances. Do all three. It's worth noting publicly that I like my mother-in-law. In his mercy, God spared us the story of Moses' interaction with his mother-in-law. But what we do have in this story is the account of Moses' interaction with his father-in-law, Jethro. This is not Jethro from Beverly Hills, so get that image out of your mind. That's what I start thinking of immediately. I see him with the shotgun. I see the truck. This is just Jethro from Midian. We're first introduced to Jethro back in the beginning of the book of Exodus. If you go back to Exodus chapter 2 and 3, if you remember the story with me, you'll remember that Moses, after he was raised in Egypt, but he, um, he flees Egypt after killing an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. See, Moses realized that God wanted to use him to deliver the people, but his whole understanding of the timing was a little bit off. So he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He kills him. Uh, doesn't go as Moses planned. He ends up having to flee the country for a time. And so he flees southeast to this region called Midian. And it's while Moses is in Midian that he meets his wife, Zipporah. Um, and he spends the next 40 years in Midian in obscurity, living as a shepherd in the desert. He spends roughly from 40 to 80 years of age in the desert in obscurity in Midian. By the time we've reached this story here in Exodus chapter 18, 40 years then have passed. 
It was finally time for Moses to become the leader that God was calling him to be. And about three months before this story here in Exodus 18, God used Moses to deliver the people from bondage to, uh, in slavery to the Egyptians. You guys remember the story with me? It's the story of the Exodus. It's which the book bears its name. But all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, right, they, they're led out of Egypt at night. In the middle of the night, they depart from Egypt for the land that God promised on oath to their forefathers. They went into Egypt 400 years earlier as 70 people. They come out of Egypt during the Exodus as no small group. It's about two to three million people. Um, so it's this massive group of people. It's a large percentage of the population of Egypt at the time that Moses leads out of Egypt. And they immediately run into a host of logistical issues, as you can imagine. I mean, it's this group of, again, two to three million people, and they're, they're heading out into the desert. And they're having, you know, just different things they've got to uh, challenge that they've got to overcome. First and foremost, you see in Exodus chapter 14, they've got issues of national security. They're not 10 minutes out of Egypt before the Egyptian army decides to start pursuing them. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He pursues the Israelites and he pursues them to the Red Sea and God miraculously shows up. You guys know the story. He parts the Red Sea and the Israelites can pass through on dry land, but they had issues of national security. They've got issues with food. The people get into the desert. They start grumbling. They're hungry. They need something to eat. It's a logistical problem. God shows up. Exodus chapter 16, he feeds the people. They need water. Exodus chapter 17, God provides water for the people. What we see in Exodus 18 and 19 are they needed governance and they needed laws and God provides through Moses some governance and he provides laws for them in Exodus chapter 19. And so they're going through all these different logistical issues as they're trying to basically pass from Egypt to the promised land. And in the middle of all of this is Moses. Here we find Moses at the pinnacle of his career and he's leading the nation. I mean, everything in his, in his life up to this point was preparing him for this moment. This is what God had for Moses to do. In the workload, what's expected of Moses, it's staggering. Look with me if you have your Bibles open still. Exodus chapter 18, the second part of verse 13. Notice what the Bible, how the Bible describes this. It says, And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. This is not a nine-to-five job. This is sun goes up, sun goes down. He's working all day. I mean, Moses, he's getting after it, right? He's getting stuff done. He's working hard. He's attending meetings. He's making decisions. He's accomplishing stuff. He's getting things done. And in this moment in his life, Moses is busier than ever before. And the reality is he's on the brink of burnout. You see, in this moment, Moses' life is full of hurry and of busyness. Newsflash for you. Hurry and busyness are not 21st century problems. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I want to submit this to you, that one of the enemy's greatest challenges to our spiritual lives are the inseparable pair of busyness and hurry. One of the enemy's greatest challenges to our lives are the inseparable pair of busyness and hurry. It was Corey Ten Boom, the survivor of um, the atrocities of uh, Nazi Germany and the Christian author who, um, who once said, I really like this, she said, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll just make us busy. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. One pastor who's written extensively on this topic that I, I like to, uh, to read some of his thoughts on this, he said, sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut, your, they cut off your connection from God, from other people, and from your own soul. You see, the problem is everywhere. 
You know, on Sunday mornings, uh, part of my responsibilities at Cornerstone usually keep me in that part of the building. And so I get to see lots of you and interact with dozens and dozens of people as they come in and out of the doors in the course of a Sunday morning. And there's a lot of small talk, a lot of casual conversation and the traditional pleasantries, right? But so, so many people have almost taken like an informal survey. Most people respond when you ask the customary, how are you? What's the common response? Good, just busy. Good, just busy. Maybe you're here today and you've responded to me that way. I know I answer the question that way. Somebody asks, how are you? Say, good, just busy. We've got a lot going on. You see, this problem affects everybody. High school students are busy. College students are busy. Young adults are busy starting their lives and their careers. Young parents are busy. Grandparents are busy. Retired people are busy. I, I can't, I can't get, um, just like get over it. I get a kick out of how many of you I talk to that are busy with your retirement jobs. Like you're like, oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's a train. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's like I retired to take up this full-time job that keeps me so, anyways, it's fine. Um, you do you. Educators are busy, businessmen are busy, military personnel are busy, medical professionals are busy, athletes are busy, tradesmen are busy, pastors are busy, we're busy people. We live in a busy culture. It's a problem that affects everyone. We're all busy. And the reality is, guys, the demands of life are endless. You know this. Um, you know, and each stage of life has its own demands. There's not a stage of life that's not free from the cares of this world in some regards. You see, the problem, though, is not found in the things themselves. Many of us have full lives and full schedules that are full of good things. The problem is the busyness and the hurry that comes with trying to get all these things done. Is anybody else already behind on their unrealistic to-do list for the day? All right, there are a couple of you here with me. I mean, think about how we respond to stuff. We're constantly in the store navigating what is the shortest checkout aisle. Um, you know, we live in a constant dialogue, a dialogue of partial uh, conversations on our cell phones. We multitask to the point of forgetting all the tasks that we're doing. And we do all these things in a vain attempt to try to fit everything in. The sad reality, too, is that the tools that were invented to help, um, you know, multiply or enhance our productivity and our effectiveness are a double-edged sword. Our smartphones don't help, do they? How often does a notification on your phone interrupt a little bit of the peace you have in your life, interrupts a dinner with family, interrupts your devotions in the morning, it interrupts maybe a meaningful conversation, it interrupts your attention at a stake and study, or it just results in one more task for you to accomplish? You see, as Christian men, we're called to be good stewards of our greatest resource, our time. This passage confronts my own life, and I would venture to guess that I'm not alone. You see, no matter your stage of life or your stage of career, the challenge of living an unhurried, unbusy life exists for us all. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. This passage gives us a few simple recommendations. They're simple remedies for a busy life. Simple remedies for a busy life. We see four different things in the passage. Number one on the list Slow down. Slow down. You know, Jethro, when we see this story, Jethro spends his second full day with Moses, watching Moses at work. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, but, you know, just imagine for, your, uh, uh, for yourself for just a second if you were to take your father-in-law with you to a day at work. It's probably not your favorite thing to do, right? Anybody have one of those neighbors when you're, like, changing the oil or working on your car who comes over just to watch? And they kind of, you know, they comment on things like, oh, that's a, a metric bolt, is it? You're like, yeah. Like, huh? 
you know? Oh, you're a mobile one guy, are you? It's like, what do you want, you know? It's like somebody comes over. That's kind of what I imagine with this, though. Moses is sitting there doing his job, you know, all day, morning to night. He's judging before the people, and his father-in-law is just sitting there watching. It's not long before Jethro starts sounding like a part-time management consultant, but the reality is he's going to offer some really good advice. For Moses, this is just another day in the office, but Jethro's got something to say. Look with me again at verse 17 of Exodus chapter 18. It says, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. Notice again the words, the thing you do is not good. He's basically saying, pal, you've got a problem. And it's not that the things that Moses was doing himself were intrinsically bad. The problem is not, it's not qualitative, it's quantitative. See, Moses was busy doing really good things. The problem, though, was that the busyness of Moses' schedule was impeding his ability to focus on the things that God was calling him to do. Some of you need to hear this today. Productivity and purpose are not the same thing. And it's so easy to get busy in the busyness of getting things done. Anybody else been there? You're just busy doing stuff. If somebody asked you what you do, you couldn't always even account for it. You're just busy. And that's kind of where we see Moses. And his father-in-law looks at this. He's like, pal, look, you need to cut it out. You need to take a break. Slow down. And he says again, verse 18, the second part of it there, he says, you will wear yourselves out. You're going to wear yourself out. And he, he, he brings the people into that, too. He says, these people who are with you, you will surely wear yourselves out. So everybody's just going to be exhausted. The Hebrew here for the phrase describes, it's the same phrase that you would use for just like a plant that's never gotten any water, right? If any of you guys have ever done a garden or if your wives, you know, uh, my poor wife wants to have a successful garden so bad, but often we live more in withered and exhausted. Um, one of these days. But... You know, just these plants that are dried up. That's the imagery here, is this, this dried up plant and exhausted. And that's what he said, that's what's going to happen to you. You've got to slow down. Um, Dr. Philip Ryken, who's the president of Wheaton College, in his commentary on this, I liked what he said. He said, Jethro had the wisdom to see that there was no way Moses could sustain this kind of pace. The workload was so overwhelming that soon Moses would be exhausted and he was headed for burnout. So what's the advice? Slow down, Moses. You got to pump the brakes. You know, we live in a world that is obsessed with speed, right? Technology and innovation have not helped. Despite our smartphones, our self-driving cars, um, our drive through restaurants. Look, we live in a society that created microwavable bacon. Think about that for just a minute. You couldn't be bothered long enough to cook bacon. You just need to microwave it in 10 seconds in your microwave and go on with your day. And in spite of the glory of microwavable bacon... Many of us still feel there's not enough time. But the solution is not more time. The solution is slowing down. You see, in in our culture, the word slow is not usually used in a positive sense, is it? You go to a movie and you watch a movie that's kind of boring, you describe it as slow. You have bad service at a restaurant, you describe it as slow. You sit in traffic, traffic is slow. You describe somebody who's kind of dull or uninteresting as slow. Anything that slows us down in life becomes incredibly frustrating to us. Some of you, a long line at Costco on a busy Saturday sends you halfway to atheism. (laughs) This is no surprise, though. It's no surprise. We pack our schedules, we pack our days, we have unrealistic expectations about the amount of things we should get done. And the good news is this is no surprise to God. 
In fact, from the very beginning of the Bible, God instituted a sort of a practice that's a sort of circuit breaker for humans. It's called the Sabbath. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Like God intentionally, in his creative order, set aside this intentional time of rest. And he set that as an example for you and I. This concept of Sabbath is also commanded in the law. In fact, it's commandment number four, just a chapter over in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8 through 10. I'll read it for you. The commandment is given, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Sabbath is not an antiquated concept, but a necessary gift. As humans, we need to slow down, take the time to rest our bodies, our hearts, and our minds. Slow down and take a Sabbath. Number two on the list, stand before God. Stand before God. Look with me at verse 19. Jethro says, Now listen to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people. You can underline that phrase, stand before God. See, after telling Moses what he was doing was too much, Jethro now offers a piece of positive advice. And notice that phrase, stand before God. Effective leadership for each one of us begins with prioritizing standing ourselves in the presence of God. Before we can stand before God on behalf of the people, we have to stand before God individually ourselves. You know, the best example of this demonstrated in an unhurried life is in the person of Jesus, right? You guys think about anywhere you read through the New Testament and the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. Nowhere do you see Jesus in a hurry. Nowhere do you see him overly business. But he was thoughtful. He was intentional. He had margin in each day. You know, Mark chapter 1 gives us a little insight into a typical day in the life of Jesus. And it was a full day. You know, I mean, he was busy driving out evil spirits and healing the sick, of which, by the way, he also healed Peter's mother-in-law. I'm sure Peter was like, thanks. Um, But... It's a full day of ministry. But despite all this, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Men, living a life that's devoid of busyness and hurry begins here. All other practices begin here. Being an effective leader in your home begins here. We need to make time to go to a quiet place and get alone with the Lord. Look, there's nothing mystical about where or when. It's more important that you make it happen. Sometimes it's early in the morning. Sometimes it's late in the evening. Sometimes it's on a run or for some of you, a walk, um, specifically after a steak. Uh, Sometimes it's a car ride. Sometimes it's, you know, riding on your lawnmower. Maybe it's on your porch swing or it's in the basement. It doesn't matter where or when. The important thing is that you do it, that you carve out time in your day and in your life and prioritize standing before the Lord. The unhurried life requires that we prioritize this, and there's no substitute for the work that God does in our lives when we regularly present ourselves standing before him. For Moses to effectively lead the people, he had to first be led by the Lord. So number one, slow down. Number two, stand before God. And number three on the list, simplify. Simplify. Look with me at verse 21 of Exodus chapter 18. He says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, Men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, what stands out to me about this simple verse is the fact that it's a fairly simple framework that Jethro provides. 
I mean, he doesn't tell Moses, hey, you need to go take a time management course to figure all this out and get it done. He doesn't tell him, hey, you really need to start your day earlier. If you just get up one hour earlier, you get it all done. He doesn't tell him, go hire a new secretary. He simply says, find men of godly character. Let them do it. He, the advice here, this is the essence of this. He says, what you need to do is not more, but less. Not more, but less. You need to simplify Moses, you don't need to be doing all these things. Simplify your life. You know, it's amazing in this moment how, you know, and this happens to us too, right? Sometimes a visitor or an outsider can come and they have just this immediate uh, perspective on a situation. They can offer simple insight that never occurs to those who have been on the inside. Moses is just doing, he's on the treadmill. He's getting up one day, he's doing it again and again and again. And his father-in-law watches him. He's like, man, this is, this is crazy. You need to simplify your life. And I think if we were honest, the two greatest challenges that exist to us or uh, or, or stand in the way of us simplifying our lives are two different things. It's stuff and it's schedules, isn't it? It's our stuff and our schedules. I mean, you think about stuff, you know, the problem is not necessarily stuff itself per se, but we live in a culture that's driven by consumerism. My goal this morning is not to hammer on stuff or to advocate minimalism. Um, I, I do think each of us should regularly take inventory of the things in our lives and, and, and be aware of what it is that dominates our lives. But more stuff does equal more problems, doesn't it? You have to work more hours at the office to pay for more stuff. Then you actually have to pay for it. You have more stuff to maintain, more things to fix, more things to pay taxes on, more things to pay insurance on, more things to get replaced. The list goes on and on and on. And we live in a culture that is obsessed with stuff. We live in a society where desire is viewed on par with need. And I'm always sobered by the words of Jesus here when he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our stuff gets in the way, and our schedules get in the way. I mean, what is the one resource that's been given to all of us in equal amounts? It's time, right? Everybody has 24 hours, same 24 hours in a day. And notice here, you know, the, the, the question, because it's so interesting. Unlike, you know, money, you can't spend time on credit. And that's kind of what Moses' father-in-law gets to. Look with me just up a couple verses at verse 14, Exodus 18, 14. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit for the people and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? He asked what and why. These are questions of priority. And often we schedule our lives around the demands that shout the loudest or shine the brightest, don't we? I mean, we play this game of like schedule whack-a-mole, which, you know, whatever fire is burning the hottest at the moment is the one that we focus on. And our days and the rhythm of our lives can be dominated by things that we aren't even aware of. The challenge for us is to order our lives around what really matters. Time spent with God, time spent with family, and time spent with other people. You see, the societal demands on our times are endless, but we have to be intentional about simplifying our stuff and our schedules. I love the words of the Apostle Paul for the win here on this. He says, Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It's not more, but less. We need to simplify our lives. And finally on the list, number four and finally, say no. Say no. Look with me again at verse 22 here for just a minute. Jethro says, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. 
Now notice the shift in the pronouns here. It's important. He begins again in, in verse 22. Let them judge and further down, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. He's, he's shifting the focus here of the responsibility because he's saying there are things that the people can take care of that Moses need not be involved in. Translation, say no. Tell them they got to go figure it out themselves. Not every need in life is a calling. Not everything that comes before our desks is something that is our problem. Not everything that catches our eye at a store is a need and not every problem is ours to fix. I'll be honest, this is especially freeing to me in pastoral ministry because there's times where the demands of people are so much, but there's sometimes that people just have to figure things out themselves. We have to be comfortable saying no. And as men, we need the discernment to separate the essential from the additional. You know, whether or not you realize it, every decision you make is a no to something. It's a no to something. Every, every yes you say is a no to something else, right? And often the first casualty of our unintentional no's is our time with God, our wives, and our kids. Time's escaping me, but it is worth noting this morning, when you look at this passage, who's, it's really interesting the, the contrast that exists because who's missing in the beginning? It's his wife and kids. They're not with him. You know, Exodus 18.2, it says that his father-in-law took his wife and sons after he sent them back to her. You know, Bible scholars debate on this, like, were they having marital issues? I'm not here to answer that today. But what we do note is the contrast. Literally, Moses from morning to night is taking care of the people, and all the while his wife and kids are nowhere to be found. You see, his yes to the people was a no to his family. We've got to say no. Men, there are opportunities in life that because we want to live slow and unhurried lives that we have to say no to for the sakes of our families. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for this passage, you know, and I don't do this perfectly. I was thinking about it on my way in this morning as I was speeding and had an audiobook on 1.5. Um, <laughs> but I, I slowed down and I put it on cruise control and I turned the book off. We've got to have those times in our lives where we slow down, put it on cruise, intentionally get in the slow lane. It's good for you. So gentlemen, here's your challenge today as you go. I want you to have an unhurried day. I want you to have an unhurried day. Drive the speed limit on your way home. <laughs> Just start there. Sit three cars back at a stoplight. Let, let someone else go in front of you in the line at Home Depot. And when you get home, turn off your computer, throw away your phone, sit and talk to your wife. Let her tell you the same story. Throw the ball with your kids. Oh, sorry. I couldn't resist. Not my wife. Find a quiet spot. Listen, find a quiet spot and open your Bible. Start with that. Stand before the Lord. Slow down. Simplify. Say no. And see what happens. See what happens when you do so. Let me leave you with the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. God, thank you for the insight we can have. And it's a reminder to us that busyness and hurry are not 21st century problems only. We see this being a human problem. But God, there's things we can learn. And we, we don't want to wind up at the end of our lives just looking at the stuff we have amassed, the credentials we have, all the while having it be a wake of um, misplaced priorities, 
of living hurry and uh, missing the real essence of life. So Lord, help us. Help us to slow down. Help us to stand before you regularly to carve out that time. Help us to simplify our lives, Lord, and to say no to the things that we need to. God, we want to have our priorities in line with what you'd have for them to be. So we ask that you'd help us. Give us the discernment to be able to recognize the difference between the essential and the additional. Lord, help us to focus on you in all things. And God, I pray that you just give these men wisdom as they try to implement these things to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.